Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis, and today I'm really excited to bring you an interview with my longtime friend and colleague, Chris Bordessa. Chris and I go way back. I knew her back in my magazine writing days, and we also blogged around the same time. In fact, Chris started her blog, Attainable Sustainable, in 2011, and it's still going strong today, nine years later. She also just released a book by the same name, and it's a great reference point and a resource of skills that will help you and your family be more self-reliant and live more sustainably. Whether that means growing your own food and raising backyard chickens or simply learning to stock your pantry with healthier food or maybe even learn a few new cooking techniques. As Chris and I discussed in the episode, with more families home right now and our old routines disrupted, it's the perfect time to learn new skills and establish new habits. I've definitely become a lot more mindful about reducing food waste and keeping a pantry inventory over the last few months. And I've also started a much more ambitious garden this year than I usually would. I love Chris's approach because it's all about starting where you are and remembering that none of us are born with these skills. It's all about deciding what's important to you and then diving in, trying something new, and then building on skills as you go rather than trying to shoot for some unattainable, aspirational, perfect lifestyle right out of the gate. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview with Chris and that it inspires you to try something new yourself. Hi, Chris. Thanks for being on the Mom Hour. Hi, Megan. Good to talk with you. Good to talk with you. Um... Just at the beginning, I guess I should say we are recording this interview in May 2020. So we are, you know, in the United States, a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic. And it occurred to me that we have such an interesting set of factors happening together right now. So first, I know for myself, I have realized how much I depend on outside resources for like everything from my food to what I do for entertainment And then also how easily my life can be disrupted when those sources aren't available uh, 24-7 anymore or at all. And then on the other hand, I I just have more time on my hands and fewer distractions. So my guess, and this is just my theory, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that those two factors together have been leading to more and more people who have just decided to learn how to be more sustainable or try out a new household skill. So I'm just really curious, is that something you've seen? Um, Have you seen increased interest in your blog or your new book or or just interest in general in learning things that people didn't seem to be as interested in before? Yeah, uh, a a little bit of all of the things you mentioned there, um, but definitely the one thing that I'm seeing people really, really dive into, uh, two things actually, one is baking bread. We all all have um, (laughs) seen uh, about the flour shortages. People are baking bread and, and looking for recipes and looking for easy recipes because they're, you know, they haven't maybe made bread before. So they're trying to figure out how that happens. Um, And then gardening. People Mm. are thinking about, you know, I think a little bit of this, you know, break in the food system and how can they make sure that they've got some um, produce growing outside their back door. Yeah, I can see that. And and in your book and your blog, you talk about a lot of different sustainability uh, or I guess 
self-reliance skills. So not, we're not just talking about food. You've got um, making things, making clothing covered. You've got back, basically farming from uh, homesteading right down to backyard chickens. I mean, you, you really cover the gamut. Have you, besides making bread, which I know we, we've seen so many people who want to start baking bread now, <laughs> um, have you seen interest in even the more, the bigger tasks, the one that would be a little more uh, ambitious or a little more of a lifestyle change, really more than just a skill. Well, I don't know. I, to me, it's not big. Um, but the one thing that, that I see people embracing as far as a lifestyle change all of a sudden, and they've, you know, honestly been kind of forced into it is actually cooking at home. Mm. Um, I think that we just don't realize how much people depend on that takeout meal. Um, and, 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 you know, moms, busy moms trying to figure out how to feed their family and, and they're learning a little bit. Oh, mm. you know, it takes a little bit of planning and we have to make sure that we've got food on the table and I'm not going to be able to just pop down to, you know, whatever our favorite restaurant is. So that's, I, I think a little bit of a lifestyle change where people are having to embrace that idea. Um, and you know what, it's kind of exhausting. I mean, even for me, somebody who cooks a lot of my own meals, well, I really, really would just like to do some takeout. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's that like in, in Hawaii? I know in, it's, it's a different experience all over the United States. So um, in Michigan, takeout's been a thing the whole time, but going out to eat is still not a thing. Um, what's that like where you are? Yeah, there are some. I, I live in a, actually a really small town here on Hawaii Island, and um, there are a few restaurants that are doing takeout, but a lot of them have just shut down just because people aren't coming out. Yeah. So they can legally, but, you know, there's only a few that are actually doing much in the way of takeout at the moment. Same here. We had a, at the beginning, there was a rush. I think everyone was trying. And then I think they started to realize that it just didn't make sense. Like it wasn't it's, cost effective yeah. and they couldn't pay enough people. And yeah, so it's been yeah. hard here too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's give some background about you. And I'm, I'm just, I know you're um, attainable, sustainable blog. And I mentioned in the intro that you and I um, have known each other for a long time. And I remember very clearly, actually, um, a group we were in, I think you were running names by us <laughs> and we were like voting on the names. If I recall correctly, I could be wrong about that. That, but, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So you went with this attainable sustainables, which is such a great name. Mm -hmm. um, but give some background about you, like how did your personal interest in living more simply and sustainably evolve? And then how did that lead to you writing about it? Oh, gosh. Um, my background, actually, I was raised in a farming family. So I have a little bit of background as far as that goes. You know, my dad was an apple farmer. Uh, we always had a vegetable garden. So, you know, this is not new to me. My mom canned the, the you know, fruits and vegetables from the garden and, and from the farm. That's not new to me. Um, and I've got that background. So it, I think that it's a little bit easier for me to tackle some of this stuff than people who, who have never even seen it happening. Um, but the bigger interest as I, you know, moved further into adulthood and becoming a parent and, and raising kids is that none of the, the farming that I grew up with was done in any kind of um, non-toxic manner. Okay. Um, so, you know, I started to shift as far as that goes and, and um, having, trying to have access to healthier food in particular, because I have a son, uh, my youngest son, when he was quite small, was having behavioral issues. And it took us, uh, you know, a lot of trial and error to figure out that the, the, the thing that was bothering him was food coloring. Mm. And, you know, even, even eating some of the things that you know, were supposedly healthy, the yogurts and such, we figured out that they had the food coloring in there. And that was really giving him uh, a problem as far as oh. his behavior. So, you know, that kind of rolled into, oh, let's check the ingredients on this thing. And even though, even though I had this background where I was eating home canned applesauce and, and, you know, canning my own tomatoes, we still were relying on some of those, um, those foods and those foods were impacting him. So it was kind of a, you know, just kind of this rolling shift that that we made and and he you know his behavior issues definitely were were one of the things that that kicked us into trying to eat a little bit um more clean mm. and in in eating more cleanly what we discovered is you know we were uh eventually generating less trash we were using less plastic and you know that obviously has become a, a concern as time has passed too so uh, it just kind of snowballed i guess 
Yeah. Okay. So you've got um, so your your son that kind of inspired this change. How old is he now? Uh, he will be twenty five. Oh my goodness. Okay. I know. <laughs> oh, time has flown. Tell me. <laughs> time has right? flown. Yeah. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay. Well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so Chris, I think it's so interesting that you grew up in a farming family. You talked about your mom canning. Um, Going back further, I think these are are, uh, skills like gardening and canning and knitting and you know fixing your own clothing. We talk about it all the time. It's become kind of a cliche that those are skills people had, just normal people, everybody had them up until pretty recently. But now it's like we've, we're not only have we forgotten how to do it, but we've sometimes lost the confidence to try, I think. And why do you think that is? Are we just afraid we're going to screw it up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose there's that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it happened very slowly, um, very slowly and yet very quickly. I mean, it's, it's really been the past several generations, but I think it's, you know, going back to the idea of home cooking, um, you know, several generations ago, grandma wouldn't have considered going out. You know, you didn't go buy your food elsewhere, right? You made your food at home. And it has just slowly become such a casual part of our existence to go, you know, grab a a rotisserie chicken or whatever, um, that that we're not doing that anymore. So all of a sudden we have a generation or a couple generations of these children who were raised in a family that didn't cook. Mm. I mean, I actually have people, you know, contact me all the time and say, I just never learned how to cook, which is unfathomable to me because we did cook at home. And it's, you know, it's not that they're lazy. It's not that they um, just, you know, can't do this or that they might not do it right. They just simply don't know where to start. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing goes with any kind of crafting. You know, we're everybody's online now. So that's, you know, spare time. You're maybe online and not doing any kind of handcrafting or, or making of things. And 
you know, then as far as those products go too, they're pretty readily available yeah. commercially mm-hmm. to buy at retail. So, you know, if I can go buy a quilt at the store for 50 bucks, why would I spend the time making one? Yeah. And I think also the fact that we are online, and this is a pretty recent change, maybe in the last 10 years or so, we're seeing sort of these very aspirational, um, perfect versions of things that like our first attempts aren't going to look like that, right? You know, like the first time you try to, you know, cut up a chicken, like it's not going to look perfect. Um, but the only way to learn how to do it is to do it. Is just to dive in. And it's funny that you say that because this book is, is beautiful. Mm, It really is. It's, it's a beautiful book. And if you compare that, and I'm, I'm, you know, straight up here, if you compare this book and how beautiful it looks to my house, <laughs> it's just, it's not happening. You right. know, I mean, I'm real life here. So I, I, that was one of the things when I first got, got a look at the pages of this book, I thought, boy, I hope this doesn't, I don't know, deter people from trying to dive in because it does look so beautiful. And I, and I people say, what, you know, did you want them to include ugly pictures? And, <laughs> you know, no, you don't. But at the same time, I don't want that. I don't want people to think that they're not going to get it right that first time and not try to tackle it, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, truthfully, the picture that you see in, in the book is, you know, that's the aspirational thing maybe. And it shows you, you know, what can happen, what it can look like, but the process is messy. It is. But you know, what's funny about that is that even if the the quilt comes out a little janky or um, the bread, the bread is lumpy or whatever, like the, it cannot look Instagram worthy, but still taste great or keep your family warm. So there's like value in those, um, those early attempts and actually might be something you look back later and love the fact that you have something you made that was a little more rough and that you, in your skills grew over time. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's totally a process. Um, My husband actually, with all of this being at home has started tackling bread baking. Mm. And, you know, he started with a, a no need bread recipe. And, you know, the first couple attempts he he was, you know, fumbling and uh, he's not sure about it. It looks a little bit wet and it's never going to rise and this whole thing. And, and um, over the course of the past couple of months, he just, you know, he knows what day he's going to bake his bread. He knows how to do it. He rolls it together. It sits in there and he sits overnight. And in the morning he bakes it. And he's got bread. And so, you know, there was that learning curve. And it was interesting to watch him learning and, and figuring out how to do this. And, you know, the, the initial struggles and frustration that he had to the point where now he just, you know, proudly pulls out a, a loaf of uh, bread yeah. in the morning. Well, and even you, I mean, you've been writing about this stuff forever. You've been living it for a long time. Um, but you moved from one climate to another. I'm not sure how long you've been in Hawaii now, but I'm sure you had to relearn some things when you made that move. Oh my gosh, I still am. And that's what, you know, I, I tell people, I am learning right alongside the rest of you. Th- this is, you know, I don't know everything. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to have written this book, but I truly just don't know everything. And yeah, when we moved here, I mean, the big joke is it, people on the continent can mostly grow zucchini very easily, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody jokes about, you know, gosh, your neighbor's got zucchini, go running. I can't grow zucchini here. Oh my gosh, that is interesting. Right? It, it just, I cannot grow zucchini here. There are too many pests that, that attack it and we have a problem with powdery mildew. So these are things that I've had to finally figure out. Okay, the reason I used to grow zucchini is because it was easy. Mm. You know, it was a, a no-brainer in the garden. You planted a couple of plants, you had zucchini all summer long. It's no longer easy. Right. So, uh, you know, it, I don't love zucchini that much that I'm just, you know, desperately trying <laughs> right. to grow it. It's no longer easy. So I've given up on that. And, and you know, I have shifted into things that do grow better here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm changing a little bit. You know, I don't have the zucchini for my recipe that I that I normally would have. So uh, I go, we do have growers here that I can get that from they're growing in greenhouses and you know under certain conditions so definitely definitely a learning curve well and I think there's something to that about like are you in this because uh, by in this I mean anything from anything from cooking or gardening to anything else you do because you just want to feed your family and you want to make it as simple as you can or for the challenge of it and it reminds me of an article that I actually wrote for a site a while back about how to grow an avocado tree 
if you live right. in a northern climate. And basically, I don't exactly remember how you do it, but like the chances of it actually bearing fruit are very slim and you, it takes several seasons before you know. And I remember thinking like, who would do this? But I right. guess if you're in for the challenge, that's one thing. Just like if you want to create this really, you know, complicated recipe, that's a different thing than putting food on the family for your, or on the table for your family at night. Two different goals, right? It's, I, I think so. You yeah. know, and I think that there is something fun about taking a, a tree or a plant that wouldn't normally grow in your region and trying to get it to grow there. Yeah. Um, that's that to me is a challenge, but as far as getting out there and making it, uh, you know, something that's really going to produce for your family in order to put food on the table, as you say, you know, you really need to step back and think about what grows well in the region that you're in. And that's going to differ. You talk about the avocados, avocados. I can't throw avocado pits in my compost because they will grow. Huh. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet you have no problems <laughs> so, there, right? <laughs> you know, I have to be careful about that. So, you know, that's what does grow well here. Um, so it's, it's just shifting. And I, and I always say that it's super important when people are starting to garden to get out there, go talk to your neighbor and find out what grows really well for them. Mm. Because yeah. that's going to give you, a, you know, give you a clue as to what will grow well for you in your mm. garden. I love it. Um, so let's talk about the book. You, it's it, like you said, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it is a beautiful mm -hmm. book. It's really mm -hmm. easy. It's like, I love the way it's laid out. It's very easy to navigate and follow along with. Um, so it just came out in April. And I feel like that timing was like accidentally, I'm assuming that was accidentally perfect timing and that you didn't speed up. I had nothing to do with this COVID <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know now where it came from. The conspiracy right, theorists right? can put a big target on you. Um, <laughs> But tell us a little bit about how the book is laid out and the different sections and then some of your favorite skills projects um, that you'll that the readers will find in each chapter. OK, the the book is, as you say, it's beautiful. It's divided into uh, six sections, three indoor and three outdoor overarching categories. Okay. And they're color coded. Everybody has said, oh, my gosh, I love that it's color coded. So I know exactly where I'm going. And um, and yeah, it's got kind of a little rainbow on the on the edges when you look at it. And those categories are are eat, you know, which which encompasses a lot of different uh, cooking um, skills, not necessarily meals so much as uh, pantry staples and and canning and preserving and such. And we get into clean and make, uh, which encompasses you know a little bit of handcraft, kind of uh, soul feeding projects, and then non toxic cleaners, non-toxic skincare. And then of course we go into outside where we talk about uh, grow farm and trek, which is essentially, you know, people get outside, grow some food. And, mm. and, you know, when we talk about farming, it, it's, it's really an overview of the possibilities for urban farming. We're not talking about, you know, 40 acres and a cow. Um, it's, it's, you know, can you add chickens to your small place? Can you, uh, you know, raise pheasants. It, and I, mean, I actually know people who raise pheasants in their in their home because they're a small bird and they can gather the eggs there. Um, so it's just it's really a very uh, broad introduction to a lot of different topics that people can tackle. Mm. Um, as far as my favorites, you know, I have to say that that the garden section is is one. I mean, gardening is my thing. That's my that's my break. A lot of people see it as chores, but for me, it's if I can get outside and, and get my hands in the dirt, that's, that's the breaking point. Um, and then in the eat section, I have a section in there that is about creating a DIY pantry. And essentially that's a look at creating the things that we tend to buy at the store, maybe mm. that are so habitual that we don't even realize. Um, they're things like salad dressings and mayonnaise and mustard. So instead of buying those bottles that are, you know, ultimately going to end up in the trash and that may have kind of questionable ingredients, you can make that at home mm. and it's yeah. not hard. And I, hard. I agree. The book does cover a wide gamut or a range of, um, I guess, levels or like levels of commitment. Like there's you could jump in and be like, I want to learn about this, 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 and then do deep dives on like everything in the book. Or you could just say, you know, it'd be a good idea to clean up my pantry a little bit and get, <laughs> yeah, and get some staples and right. maybe learn how to grow tomatoes. Like, I, I think you could really take it 
as far as you want, but you could also start as small as you want and, um, and just keep going back to it and adding as you go. Adding, dif- adding different skills. Yeah. Yes. I had a, a friend of mine said, you know, I, I sat down and read your book cover to cover and I thought, wow, yeah. <laughs> really? That's, you know, that's, a, that's quite a commitment because for me, I'm a flipper, mm. you know, so I'm going to flip and go, oh, this project looks like something I feel like tackling right now. Um, and, and, and these are, some of these are simple projects. They're introductory projects, if you will. Um, there's a couple of uh, introductory recipes for quick breads. Mm. So maybe somebody isn't ready to tackle yeast bread yet, but they can learn how to make a quick bread loaf. Um, and, and, you know, there are a few recipes for quick breads. There's a few recipes for yeast breads, but somebody who has a chance to try these or try planting a couple of Swiss chard seeds and sees that they are, you know, that that worked and, and they're harvesting food. Then you can dig in deeper, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's just so much information out there for all of these different things. But it's really, to me, it's a chance for people to try on some of these different projects and see what really captures their interest. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a prescriptive blueprint for the way you should live your life. It is a reference tool. And so you can use it however however works for you. Um, and I thought it was really inspiring. A lot of our listeners have small children. So I'm curious if there are any of the projects in the book that you think would lend themselves particularly well to doing with little kids um, or with little kids at your elbow, as is the, (laughs) as is the reality for so many moms. Right. Um, Well, definitely, definitely, definitely take your kids out and plant some seeds. Mm. Uh, Gardening is such, to me, that is, it's such a learning opportunity for the kids. Um, You may have a couple of accidents with kids, (laughs) you know, pulling the wrong plant, thinking it's a weed. Um, my family still jokes about the time my son got hold of my pruners and, um, (laughs) just decimated one of my, my brand new trees that I had just planted. Um, poor kid. I think he's still ruined from it. Um, but you know, yeah, get them out in the garden. That is something that, you know, even if you've only got an apartment, uh, balcony, you can grow some, um, small containers you can do sprouting with them so that that's even just on your kitchen counter and they're seeing that food production um you know as far as in the kitchen pickling is something that i think that they could help with that's you know you don't necessarily have to can pickles you can do refrigerator pickles so let them help with you know slicing cucumbers to make refrigerator pickles yeah fermentation is another one that um i think kids can can help with that I mean, it's cooking, right? They're they're going to be cooking. They can be helping pack the jars and such. But the interesting thing about fermentation is when it's starting to get active, they can actually watch and see the bubbling happening for a lot of these. So that's fun. And it's it's, it's quicker, right? It's not like waiting for a really long time to get a result. um, You know, you're probably talking five to seven days to a a completed project. So, you know, they're chopping and helping you pack the jars on one day and then you can, it sits out on the counter and you can watch. And so, you know, all these parents who are all of a sudden doing school at home, that's science, right? Sit down and, you know, let them watch this happen. So, you know, I think that's another fun one. I love that. Um, speaking of family life and kids, I know yours are older. Um, and so they were kind of growing up in, with these changes in a different, slightly different generation, I guess. But did they ever complain or push back because you weren't buying certain products or going out to eat as much as other families or whatever the changes were? Maybe their ho- your household looked a little different from others. Um, just curious if your kids were on board or if you had to kind of say, hey, this is how we do things. Oh, gosh. Um, I think it was just, I mean, th- this was just what we did. Yeah. Um, I, I did as, as my boys got older, I had to really point out to them that you know, not every household has a mom that's cooking meals every night. Mm. This, this is, you know, so that they did understand that, that and it probably is not the norm, right? That, that, you know, other families are out there doing a little bit more um, takeout stuff or, or more convenient things. I had the, the good fortune of being able to be home with my kids, though. So that gave me the opportunity to do more, more home cooking. I, I've always worked from home. So I could throw a meal in the slow cooker and have it ready at the end of the night. Um, but yeah, that, it, you know, I think it was just, oh, they knew that that's how we lived. Right. I don't think it was anything ever, you know, really strange. I did have the, you know, and back to that, the, the one kid, 
um, with the color problem, he really, he was a candy hound and he always wanted candy. And, you know, we just constantly had to tell him, you, you know, you can't handle it. Right. Uh, so, you know, we were always trying to come up, come up with a different, like an alternative so that, yeah. Yeah. So that he, he could have something that was, that felt like a treat to him without having those, um, you know, he always wanted those, um, sour things oh yes the sour things Sa- that all sour, little you know, boys want yes. r- r- yeah <laughs> the, hurt, the ones that hurt to eat yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was what he wanted and we always had to say yeah it's not happening so you know there was that there were there were some small scale battles I think, right but you know nothing that was um that was too difficult for us to manage well and i think anytime there's um anytime there are a parenting uh, decisions that you have to make when you can come into it with confidence and just, and kind of present it really matter of factly, like this is how we do things. Kids, they get that. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I, I know for myself, we talk about this on, on the mom hour a lot. Sometimes you can kind of just blame it on the, like the, they out there, the rules, like that's not <laughs> the house. Like this isn't the way we do things in this house. And then the kids are like, Oh, okay. So it's not personal. So, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. It's not, that's just my thing. It's the house has rules. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So Chris, I want to circle back to the why behind some of the changes, not just the changes that you made, but that other people might consider making. Because right now I, I get the feeling that we're living in this world. And again, we're, we're still, you know, a few months into this pandemic and things are still shaking out as far as how long it's going to last. And so it would be easy to look at this and say, well, this is a fun little diversion for now, but this isn't going to last forever. And, you know, things are just going to go back to normal. So I guess the question I'm getting at, besides the satisfaction of learning how to do this or just riding us out through this kind of disruptive time, why are these things people would want to bother learning how to do if they don't actually have to? (laughs) Right. Um, I, I, I see all of the changes that have happened just in the past couple of months. And I just keep thinking, I hope some of this sticks, Mm. um, you know, the, 
nurseries and uh, garden centers have been sold out of seeds and all of that, you know, because so many people are all of a sudden switching into doing some gardening. And, you know, as far as that goes, we have a real problem with the food system. And I think that's become very evident that, that we're counting on just a few people to create the food for us. So I hope that's something that is now kind of at the forefront of people's awareness that they will begin to realize that maybe we should think about how to bring some of this food production closer to home, whether mm-hmm. that's in your backyard or uh, participating in a, in a CSA um, once a week delivery box of vegetables to support your local farmers. But this, this dependence that we have on huge agriculture, uh, you know, it's, it's got problems. Yeah. So so yeah, I you know I hope we, I hope as far as that goes that that's one change that that we can stick with. Um, you know, the other thing is is of course with with our food, we can skip some of the ingredients that we've been eating that maybe aren't necessarily great for us by by cooking at home by using more uh, fresh vegetables and and locally produced foods. And then, you know, my thing is the waste. Mm. So much, so much of the food that we get at the supermarket is packaged in plastic that then goes in the trash that fills our landfills. So, you know, that's a big one for me. That That's kind of a big why. If we can figure out how to skip some of those things. I mean, just, just as a for instance, and uh, if you go to the, at least at my supermarket, if you go to the supermarket and the produce section, there's a product, and I don't remember the name of the product, uh, but it's a ready-to-make dish of potatoes, and essentially it is a plastic tray that's microwavable. <laughs> yep. With small with small potatoes in it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I th- this is this is where we get into people never learned how to cook, so they don't know that this microwavable plastic packaged potato can easily be replaced by just buying a plain potato yes. and cooking it in the right. microwave or in the oven. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I, I mean, obviously people are depending on these and, and I don't, I'm not sure why I, it, I just, I really feel like it just must be the idea of the convenience because people are busy or they didn't know. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just not hard to, to bake a potato. So we've been, I, I do think that we've been convinced that we need these things by the, the corporate food system and you know once we go a generation in or two generations in that's all we know yeah that's all we know one of the one of the the big ones people always just just totally flip out about is mustard and you know not that somebody's going through a jar of mustard a week um i don't maybe but you can make your own mustard at home and it is the easiest thing in the world and i've had people try my recipe uh it is actually on my website too for people who don't have the book um you can make mustard at home. It's, you know, five minutes. That doesn't doesn't take long at all. You do have to let it sit for a couple of days. But you can replace then that bottle that you're making. So it's probably not something that that too many people have said. Gee, I need to replace my mustard. <laughs> right. But you know, if you're starting to become concerned about the plastic that you're bringing home, it's an easy one. It's yeah. you know, that's a super easy one to tackle. Yeah, and I think it's a matter of probably figuring out in your family the things that you use the most maybe in starting there. Um, That potato thing is so funny. I lived in a really tiny house before the house I currently live in for a couple of years. And uh, there was no room for a microwave. And the kids were like mad about it, that we didn't have a microwave. And I don't have anything against microwaves, but I said, I'm not going to give up precious, precious counter space um, for a microwave right now. So we're just going to have to figure this out. And what I found interesting was that I already wasn't really relying on that kind of food anyway, but it just, it just hammered home how uh, unnecessary it is to ever buy anything like plastic wrapped in a, like a little container, like a little clamshell container or whatever. That's only packaged that way for the ease of sticking it in the microwave. Like that's really why it's packaged that way. And when you don't have one, there's no point ever buying, like literally ever buying anything like that because it's so much more work than to like, remove it from the container and stick it in the pan and heat it up. Um, and it just, it kind of just reminded me of how unnecessary and not even particularly more convenient 
a lot of those foods are. It's just a, it's a mindset shift. And it's also trusting that you can figure out how to slice a p- potato really thin or like read a recipe and, and cook it um, in the oven or however you're going to do it. So it's like, I think until people are kind of forced out of things, sometimes it doesn't occur to them. But then when you right. change it, you're like, oh, that was easy. I can do that. And then you can do on the next thing. Right. That's a, that's actually a really good point. I don't, I, I haven't had a microwave in, in years and years and years, but that's a good point that a lot of the stuff is meant specifically for that microwave. So, so you're not going to maybe notice it. Right. Exactly. All, all of a sudden find yourself like you did. Yeah. Um, and I would say that the kids would be like, well, what are, how are we supposed to heat up? Um, leftovers. And I said, well, we have this thing, it's called a stove. <laughs> right. I, you, my sister, I mean, this was years and years ago. Uh, my sister came to visit and she was just horrified. How do I heat up my baby's bottles? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you'll figure it out. Boil some water and put the bottle yeah. in the water. I mean, yeah. how did, how did our grandmas do it? Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. When you were talking about the, the food system, I think it's really interesting when this was all starting um, and there were a lot of articles kind of reassuring everyone, like the food, the supply chain is, is fine. Like, don't worry about it. And I remember having some skepticism, like, why would I believe that? I just, we were mm-hmm. obviously the toilet paper supply chain didn't quite work for a while. Um, the sanitizing wipes still isn't working. And mm-hmm. I think you're so right that it's not that the food's not there. It's that if there's a problem with the packaging plant, the whole thing shuts down. Um, and here again, probably around early, early to mid May, um, 2020, suddenly meat was really hard. Like certain cuts of meat were really hard to find and the prices were just ridiculous. And like right down the street, there are, um, meat markets that are, these are all this high quality grass fed beef, things like that raised by local farmers. And suddenly those prices are starting to look kind of appealing because before Mm -hmm. they weren't quite competitive enough, but now they're better and you know, you're getting a better product and you can actually find what you're looking for. So that I think is a a change that I'm hoping just like you, that people are going to say, I have other options for for filling my fridge and it doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be this major supermarket. Um, just because I've always done my shopping there. It's so much habit breaking, Mm -hmm. you know, from whatever it is that you're putting in your cart at the supermarket or where you're shopping. It's, it's just, you know, we're people of routine and and it feels, I mean, obviously the past couple of months we've had a chance to see what it feels like to have our routines interrupted, but you know, I hope that little bit of interruption makes people think. Yeah. And, and like you say, start looking at some of these smaller businesses and smaller food producers who can get help get food on the table. I actually read an article not too long ago saying that one of the side effects that may happen, and I haven't seen it personally, but um, perhaps it will, is that if there's continues to be disruption um, in in meat, say meat um, packing plants or something, we might have to get used to different cuts of meat. And I think that would Mm -hmm. even be an interesting place to start. Like what if suddenly you couldn't get chicken breasts anymore? All you could get was a whole chicken or, or you couldn't get um, certain, you couldn't get ground beef. All you can get is like a huge haunch. <laughs> so like, I just right. think that's going to kind of jar, even if people keep shopping at the same places, having to deal with different meat realities or different vegetable realities or whatever might happen could also maybe spark some, some changes and some interest. It's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and she was saying that she had been to the supermarket and she went with a very short list just to go get the few things that she needed. But she said they were out of several of them. So she was in the supermarket with the mask on. And I don't know about you, but I have a real hard time thinking with that mask on. Me too. Like I want to get in and get out. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And she said, so here I was faced with trying to think they don't have this. So what can I get that would also work in this recipe that I'm making? How could I, um, you know, how can I switch it up? So I think you're right. I think it's definitely going to be a matter of people are going to have to get a little bit more creative if what they're used to getting is not readily available. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know some people are listening and thinking, okay, so I can see myself maybe learning how to um, cook a home cooked meal because I already had to or bake bread, but I'm not really, (laughs) I'm not interested in learning how to butcher a chicken. So let's unpack that a little bit just as a way to kind of tie this all up. Like we don't have to do it all to make an impact. And, and I think that's something that could be really hard on us, especially the perfectionists among us or those of us who really just want to tackle things like do it, you know, do it all, take it all the way. Um, 
If somebody really wanted to start small with just one thing, like what advice do you have for that person who maybe just wants to dip in a toe? Well, you know, I have to tell you that that one of the the real kickers that got me going with this website and starting this in the first place was a conversation I had with a friend of mine um, many years ago, and we were trying to figure out what what is one thing if we could tackle one thing a day to start working ourselves towards being you know, a little more green, a little more self-reliant, doing more of our own things. So I am all about small steps. Mm. People are not going to flip a switch tomorrow and all of a sudden, you know, be living this more self-reliant lifestyle. It's, it's noticing, like I say, noticing your habits, the things that, that you bring habitually that you could maybe change or make at home yourself. Um, as far as the projects or, or what people can tackle, I think it depends so much on individuals. What do they like? What thing must you have at the supermarket that you're going to be bummed out if you can't get? Mm. And can you figure out how to make that at home? Right. Um, you, you know, so, so starting there, the things that you use regularly, is there a way to make that a um, greener choice? It's just, it's really paying attention. I don't, you know, to be able to say there's one thing people should start with, I think that's, you know, it's, it's so going to depend. Um, you know, soap making is, is, is one that I've only just recently tackled in the last several years. It took me forever to start doing that because the idea of soap making, just the idea of it was so daunting. Yes. And, you know, so it, it's, it's just, it's something, why is it so hard that, when there's something that we don't know how to do, we put it off and put it off and put it off. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so, so funny because I, I have been wanting to make soap since, I don't know, for like 20 years. And when I really <laughs> wanted to learn how to do it, I had little kids and I use that as the excuse. Like, well, I don't want to have lie in the house. I don't want to be messing with that when I have little kids. One day I looked around, I'm like, okay, I have no excuse anymore. Like, <laughs> My kids are not little anymore. No babies are going to be like, you know, putting their right. hands into stuff. So, but I built it up in my head. Right. So do yeah. you, have you tried it? No, not yet. Maybe I will now. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. But that's exactly right. You, yeah. you've, you've just worried about it for so long. Cause the same thing I was concerned. Well, there's lie. That sounds really, you know, like it might be difficult or dangerous or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I finally just, um, and it's probably been four years ago or so that I started, I finally was like, okay, I have to do this. And I started doing it and it is, oh my gosh, it is the easiest thing in the world. If you can make soap, if you, I'm sorry, if you can make cake and mix up cookie batter or whatever, it's all it is, is just combining ingredients. Yeah. It's just that, you know, you have to be a little careful not to spill them, but it's so right. easy. <laughs> I love that. That's a great um, example. And I think that's one of those things that most people, it just wouldn't occur to us that we have an option besides running to the grocery or, you know, to the grocery store or the, the pharmacy and picking up. Because you can make laundry detergent. You can. There's a lot of things you can make mm-hmm. out of. It's not just bars of soap. So if you if your family isn't the bar of soap type and mine isn't, um, it's still a skill worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And and making your own, you know, you can customize it. You can you know choose your fragrance and 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 make it your own. But it also is less expensive. Mm. You know, when you make one batch of soap, you're not making a single bar. You're making enough bars to last your family for months, probably. So it's a, you know, makes a big batch. But yeah, it's, you know, it's breaking habits. It's deciding that you're ready to to learn um, a new skill and and getting kind of beyond that that hesitancy. Uh, I, I met with a friend of mine yesterday who has never grown a garden before. And she's really struggling. she's just, she keeps planting seeds and they're not coming up or, you know, she doesn't know if it's the soil and she's just, you know, she really wants to have a garden. And I talked with her yesterday and she said to me, I thought it would be cheating if I bought seedlings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I said, no, it's not cheating. If you bought seedlings, that's just, you know, that's just another way to start your garden. So for goodness sake, don't let your fears and your concerns and your expectations prevent you from trying something new. I mean, figure out a way. Yes, go buy seedlings. Get right. the garden started. <laughs> yeah. And and you can like learn um, some things that then later maybe you'd say, okay, I'm going to save the money and just start from seed. But like 
if, if for whatever reason, it's funny, this is the first year I've ever started any kind of garden from seed because I usually, usually I'm so busy in May. I miss basically the opportunity to start the seeds. Mm -hmm. And this year I was stuck. Like I wasn't traveling. I wasn't doing any of those things. But if I hadn't started several gardens from seedlings before, I never would have been able to jump in. Like it, it, that was way too big of a leap right. for me. So sometimes you yeah. got to like, don't yeah. let the perfect become the enemy of the getting it did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I gave her permission to go get seedlings. And <laughs> so she was gonna, she was gonna see if she could go that way. But you know, yeah, yes, take the shortcut. If you know, if, if you're not ready to start cutting old clothes into squares to make a hand pieced quilt, you know, maybe just start with something easier. Start with something that is uh, fabric you know, ready-made fabric, it's easier to cut into squares than, mm. you know, tackling doing it from clothing. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. there's just all kinds of different ways that, you know, you can kind of start, get yourself started. And then as you say, dig in and, and, you know, take it a little level deeper. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Um, again, the blog and the book are attainable, sustainable. Remind me of the URL of your blog in case someone wants to check it out. It's attainable, sustainable.net. Okay. I thought so, but I wanted to make sure. <laughs> And the book yeah, is available yeah. basically everywhere right now. Um, I know it's on Amazon and in you know regular bookstores. Yep, it's available. Go to those. All of the online booksellers. I've been sending people to bookshop.org, which supports indie booksellers. Okay. Um, and and yeah, if you know if you've got a bookstore that is open in your area, it should be on the shelves. But yeah, um, you know we're definitely doing a lot of online stuff right now. Well, and a lot of the um, a lot of the stores around here, at least that aren't open, um, are still allowing you to call in orders and do curbside. So Duke, they, should, right, they right. should have no trouble getting it, um, even if it's not on their shelf right now because no one's going into the store. They should be able to get it and deliver it to you that way. So um, right, and bookshop.org. That's a great uh, reference to keep in mind. So love that. Yeah, I like I like. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been great. And I hope you do really well with the book um, and enjoy your Hawaiian summer coming up. Thank you. So good talking with you, Megan. Good to talk with you too. Bye. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. 